Hello and welcome to another episode of Eat This Podcast with me, Jeremy Churfus. This is a very special episode for me. A little while ago, I got an email from someone who wondered whether I might be open to hosting a story she had made as a kind of guest episode. And from what she said in the email, it sounded like a definite possibility. And when I listened to the rough draft, I was sold on the idea. So here it is, my first ever guest episode. Well, perhaps not the last. Before we get to that, though, you, like me, might want to know a bit more about the person who made it. My name is Gabriella Glick. I'm a graduate student at Duke University. I'm pursuing a master's in documentary and experimental arts with a focus on audio journalism and radio documentary. Uh, my background, kind of in my undergraduate years, I studied history in German, so I really come from a historical place of storytelling. And what got you interested in this particular story? Um, when I started studying at Duke, I moved to North Carolina, and I really wanted to explore the state a little bit. And so I was driving out west to the mountains, and I just started seeing a lot of Confederate flags pop up. I thought, I mean, I thought they'd already outlawed the flag five, ten years ago. No. Okay. No, I guess on personal property or private property, you can kind of do what you want with ah, it. And right. yeah, I was driving down specifically this one windy road and every single house had it. And I was just, I, w I was like, I wish I could ask them why. <laughs> I mean, it really got me wondering, why are they there? Why do these people want to have them up? What does it mean to them? And then on the other hand, in my undergraduate years, studying history in German, um, one of my focuses in German history was the process of coming to terms with the past and how Germans had dealt with um, the Nazi period and reckoning with that and what that meant. And so I started kind of turning those ideas towards the American context and reflecting on my experiences here in North Carolina, seeing the flag. Um, and so all those ideas were kind of whirring around in my mind. And then I stumbled upon this New Yorker article that I mentioned in the piece from 2017. And was like, wow, this is such a case study example of this process and how these people here in South Carolina are dealing with this very same thing of reckoning with a difficult and a racist past. Okay, let's listen. All right. How you doing, sir? Pretty good. Everything okay? Oh, yeah. Good. Appreciate it. This is a sign that a lot of people take pictures in front of when they come here. If your boyfriend wants to take a picture of you right here, right here in front of our sign. This sign right here was actually made when they did a film out here called... Um, ah, barbecue. You've got your Kansas City sauce, thick and sweet with brown sugar, molasses, and tomatoes. You've got your Memphis barbecue, all about that pork. Your Texas barbecue, all about that brisket. When you're talking about barbecue... You're talking about sauce, meat, pits, and arguments. Whose came first and whose is better? And the Carolinas are home to one of the finest showdowns in barbecue rivalry. North Carolina's vinegary, peppery sauce, or South Carolina's mustard-based Carolina gold. If you ask Lloyd Bessinger, one of the co-owners of Piggy Park, an infamous South Carolina barbecue joint and Carolina gold manufacturer, He'd say it's an easy answer. 
I'd say he might be minorly biased. See, his grandfather, Joe Bessinger, pretty much invented the famous mustard-based sauce. That, too, is, of course, contested because... Welcome to the world of barbecue. But that's not what this story is about. Who did what, when, first, better, or worse. Those are the kinds of unanswerable questions that will keep on keeping on in the world of barbecue till the end of time. This story is about everyone's favorite topic. Politics. See, Piggy Park is famous for more than its mustard-based sauce. For Maurice Bessinger, Lloyd's father who founded the restaurant, barbecue was politics, and business was a way to showcase his beliefs. And he had beliefs. If you'd visited Piggy Park in the 1950s or 60s, you would have seen it. The car hops, the drive through the old brick building with signs in its windows announcing that blacks weren't welcome. In the heyday of Piggy Park, Maurice distributed pamphlets in his restaurant, alleging, for example, that, quote, African slaves blessed the Lord for allowing them to be enslaved and sent to America, end quote. And he also called the civil rights movement a satanic attempt to make it easier for the global elite to seize power in this country. His restaurant was decorated with Confederate memorabilia, and in 2000, he hung a bedsheet-sized Confederate flag outside Piggy Park's main location. But hey, that was then, and this is now. At least that's what the brothers told me when I asked them about their father's political past. My father was one way, and he did things right, the way he thought. We do things the way we want to do things. And uh, obviously, we, uh, our goal is just to serve the best barbecue in the world, and our sign says world's best barbecue. We stand by that, we, uh, and we stand by that, and we, uh, we're going, that's all we were trying to do. We, uh, we're, we're just here to serve good barbecue and to make people happy. We don't get into politics. That's Paul Bessinger. Paul Bessinger of Maurice's Barbecue, and I'm uh, uh, one of the owners, co-owners with my brother Lloyd Bessinger. Together, they run the South Carolina barbecue chain, Piggy Park. They've been at it for 55 years, carrying on the legacy of their late father, Maurice Bessinger, the so-called Baron of Barbecue. And people that knew my father as we were growing up, he, he didn't do anything small. If he did something, he was going to do it bigger and better than anybody else. It, just like that big barbecue sign that was put up in the 60s. He went to Las Vegas and got the design for that. He's still standing, still works and all like that. While the sign still stands as a landmark feature, announcing that you've made it to Piggy Park, a lot has changed. Upon inheriting the restaurant, the sons took down the Confederate flag and tried to write a new, non-political chapter in the history books of Piggy Park. But is it really that simple? A change in ownership? A generational divide? A rebranding? Do we just forgive and forget? Five years ago, Lauren Collins asked some of these same questions in her New Yorker article, America's Most Political Food. But even over that short span of time, so much has changed. From the Unite the Right rally to the Black Lives Matter protests, 
The question of America's past continues to reverberate into its present. Since 2017, Confederate monuments have come down, and conversations about how to mark and remember difficult histories have become more salient than ever. New Orleans is just the latest city to start taking down historical statues of men who fought Many have argued to destroy the It was an appropriate response to the killing of nine black church parishioners that year. All this stuff down. Black Lives Matter this morning. Black Lives Matter. How do we honor the parts of our past that we're proud of while rejecting those that bring us shame. It's the question of our moment. It's complicated and personal, and it's something each of us has to ask ourselves. Is it okay to eat at Peggy Park? That's what this story is about. A changing South reckoning with a racist past and a legacy of good old-fashioned barbecue. understand all that, we'll have to go back to where it started. Well, Bessinger's, the, the family started in the business in 1939. My grandfather, Joseph, J- Joseph James Bessinger, what we call it, his name was Joe or Big Joe, people would call it. He um, was basically, we would like to say, and this is a point of contention and people would like to argue this, that he was the originator of, creator of mustard-based barbecue sauce, at least the first family of mustard-based barbecue sauce in South Carolina. That's Michael Bessinger, cousin to Lloyd and Paul. He runs Bessinger Barbecue, a local barbecue restaurant in Charleston, South Carolina, that, like Piggy Park, specializes in mustard-based sauce. The unique family recipe, thick, sweet, and with a little kick, was inspired by their roots as German immigrants who came to the United States in the early 1700s. So the Germans came to Charleston, and a lot of them went further north to the Dutch Fork region area, Orangeburg, and that's where my grandfather eventually had a farm out there, and he had 11 children, and they basically picked cotton, raised cotton themselves, and they did that to help feed their family. They hit the Depression pretty hard, so they had all these kids to help run the farm. Maurice Bessinger was one of those children. Yes, one of 11 children. There was um, seven, seven brothers, was, was six brothers, not counting my dad, and he had four sisters. That was Lloyd Bessinger. Uh, yes, I'm Lloyd Bessinger, and I'm president of the company. In 1939, Maurice's dad... Big Joe opened up a little restaurant in Holly Hill, and the family switched from farming to flipping burgers, pouring coffee, and serving barbecue. And uh, it was a a 24-hour-a-day cafe, believe it or not, restaurant. Yeah, he started real early. I I think the story goes Dad was six or eight working in a restaurant in cafe in uh, Holly Hill, and he would um, do menial stuff like cleaning tables. After their father died the Bessinger siblings parted ways, opening up independent restaurants all over South Carolina. As Michael puts it. They couldn't work with each other. They all wanted to be the dominant sibling in 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 the restaurant industry, I guess you could say. I think that's why people have become so familiar with it, because we just shot restaurants all over the place. So people know Bessinger's as being mustard-based barbecue in South Carolina. 
Maurice Bessinger opened up his own restaurant in Columbia. Well, um, my dad loved the restaurant business growing up in it. And after he, um, he served in the Army, uh, he, he had bought a uh, used um, ice cream r- restaurant here. It was already here, established. Right here. And uh, then he uh, started serving the food that he liked, uh, barbecue and hamburgers and other items like that. If you visit the original Piggy Park location, you can see the relics of its expansion and reorganization. The old car hops, the wraparound drive through and the haphazard interior. No, it was a small place back, you know, in the uh, 60s. And uh, we've added rooms on as we went. I mean, it, uh, uh, it added walk-up windows. You know, I mean, we've, we've added a lot of stuff. It's naturally progression of getting doing more business. Right now, Piggy Park's got nine stores in the Midlands of South Carolina. And if you ask Paul, he'd say they... We do sell more barbecue than anybody else. We, we still stand by that nobody cooks barbecue like we do. And nobody cooks as much as we do and cooks it the right way. These other people, you know, they, I don't know. I mean, there's, there's a few of them out there probably doing it right, but not many. It's just too hard. In a lot of ways, Paul resembles his father. Big statements, big claims, and a work ethic to back it up. While I don't think I define the rest of South Carolina as a barren wasteland of good cooking, Paul is right about one thing. Barbecue is a tricky business. Well, we actually have a firebox. We're throwing that in there all the time, burning the coals, the wood down the coals, and shoveling the coals under the barbecue. Every 30 minutes, which is a long process, hot process, uh, 24 hours a day. So we're doing that every day, seven days a week. We burn more wood than probably anybody other barbecue place, and we're buying more wood than anybody. It's hard work. You're doing this fire right here? I'm going to show you this fire out back. When I visited Piggy Park's main location, Paul offered to give me a behind-the-scenes tour. Ribs smoking on the pits, hash and rice cooking away in industrial-sized pots, and the thick smoke of hot coals that seeps into your favorite pair of jeans and stays there, permanently, for weeks, no matter how many Tide Pods you throw in the wash. Now what I'm going to show you now is a cooking facility. It's kind of old, but that's what we cook. It already smells good. <laughs> our barbecue hash, which is one of our signature items. In this room here, we're making hamburgers and stuff for all our restaurants fresh every day. Patting them out. There's no machines. But these ham and cook, uh, barbecue on these pits is cooking for tomorrow. We load them up every morning. We're cooking all night, and then tomorrow morning they come off. Now we cook, we got a smoker here. We're cooking briskets on After touring the cooking facilities, we headed back through the main office, which, like the restaurant itself, is covered with history. In some ways, walking into Piggy Park headquarters feels like stepping back in time. Of course, this is our corporate office, and we've got pictures, my father's pictures when he was in the Army, and different pictures around, and that's him up there on his 50th anniversary here. Although Maurice is no longer at the helm of Piggy Park, he passed away in 2014, Reminders of his presence cover every corner of both the corporate office and restaurant interior. The portraits and news clippings make one thing clear. The legacy of Piggy Park's famous barbecue seems to be inseparable 
from the persona of Maurice himself. Yet there is one caveat, one exception. But uh, he was a, and you know the story on politics, he was always out there on everything. I ain't got to tell you all that. That was Paul's go-to refrain when any mention of Maurice's political past popped up. His father's legacy hung in the background. It covered the walls. But for the Bessinger brothers, some parts of the past remained better undiscussed. The interior decor betrayed no mention of Maurice's defense of racial segregation, his championing of Southern heritage, or his leadership role as president of the National Association for the Preservation of White People. There was no mistaking it. Piggy Park's political heritage had been taken out of the story. But for Maurice, politics and barbecue were as inseparable as mustard and pork. How you doing, sir? Pretty good. Everything okay? Oh, yeah. Good. Appreciate it. When I talked with Professor Angela Jill Cooley, Associate Professor of History at Minnesota State University in Mankato, she said that this lack of separation between politics and business was commonplace among many white supremacist restaurateurs. Yeah, that was something that kept coming up in my research. Um, The idea of restaurants being just like home. I noticed the same thing when it came to these white supremacist restaurant owners, that they talked about how they would go out among their customers and mingle and they would pour them tea and they would treat them like they were their own, you know, like they were guests in their home. Um, But they weren't in their home. They were in a restaurant. And these restaurant owners couldn't seem to separate those two things. And yet these men described it as, oh, this is my own, you know, this is my own private space. I should be able to decide who I serve and who I don't serve. In her 2015 book, To Live and Dine in Dixie, she takes a deep dive into this complicated relationship between food, politics, and Southern culture. From the Jim Crow South to the pivotal Civil Rights Act of 1964, which officially canonized desegregation into law. Number 339, Ann P. Newman et al. Petitioners versus Piggy Park Enterprises Incorporated. Mr. Greenberg. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court, this case is here on. That's audio from the 1968 landmark Supreme Court case, Newman v. Piggy Park, a case Professor Cooley mentioned I look into during my research. Following the passage of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, an African-American woman named Ann P. Newman was refused service at Piggy Park. That event sparked a class action lawsuit. In his own defense, Maurice Bessinger invoked the 13th Amendment, arguing that he should not be subjected to involuntary servitude and forced to serve people against his will. He also brought up the First Amendment, asserting that his religious beliefs protected his right to discriminate. However, Piggy Park participated in interstate commerce, which, in the eyes of the court, brought Maurice's restaurant out of the protection of the private sphere and under the jurisdiction of federal law. The issue is the correctness of the standard for a provision of Title II of the United States Civil Rights Act of 1964, which...
Ruling in favor of the plaintiff, the court concluded that African Americans had been unfairly discriminated against at the Piggy Park restaurants, in direct opposition to the Title II provision of the 1964 Civil Rights Act. The ruling established that religious views do not take precedence in over civil rights. Accommodations cases. The provision is on page two of our brief, and I'll read it. It's very brief. In any action commenced pursuant to this subchapter, the court. While the SCOTUS ruling proved instrumental for the civil rights movement, it did nothing to dampen Maurice's political spirit. Even after two failed candidacies for South Carolina State House and Governor, Maurice remained vocal about his convictions, continuing to distribute white supremacist literature and pro-slavery audio tapes out of his main restaurant. Um, I can recall when I was researching my dissertation on this topic, um, traveling through South Carolina and, of course, going to one of the Bessinger restaurants. And this was when Maurice Bessinger was still alive. Um, and they still had um, all kinds of kind of what I would call Confederate um, literature, <laughs> pamphlets and things like that, um, defending the use of the Confederate flag and really defending um, white supremacy in the restaurant. So again, even to that would have been, um, you know, sometime around 2008 would be my guess. So even well into the 21st century, um, to the end of his life, uh, I assume, um, he remained committed to that white supremacist culture. And three decades after the Supreme Court ruling, Maurice made headlines for his politics once again. In 2000, when the South Carolina brought their the Confederate flag, the rebel battle flag, down from the top of the state house, um, Bessinger raised it at the same time over his restaurant chains. The flag was taken off the dome. I raised the flag out here on the depot uh, uh, to protest the taking down of our heritage flag. That's him. Maurice Bessinger, speaking in a Newsweek clip from 2008. Two story of the flag. The war was not over anything, but Lincoln was mad because we left the Union. For Maurice, his cause was clear. The South shall rise again. <laughs> in response, the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, the NAACP, led a boycott against Maurice's famous Carolina Gold Sauce. And grocery stores, including Harris Teeter, Walmart, and Sam's Club, began removing his bestseller from their shelves. The boycott cost Bessinger an estimated $20 million, but the resulting business catastrophe didn't spur a change of heart. Proclaiming himself as a defender of states' rights and Southern heritage, Bessinger held firm. And, in so doing, Maurice made his surname a synonym for white supremacist politics. When I talked with Michael Bessinger, cousin to Lloyd and Paul, who runs the Charleston, South Carolina barbecue restaurant Bessinger Barbecue, he spoke at length about the repercussions of Maurice's legacy. Michael's restaurant, founded by his father, Maurice's brother, is totally unrelated to the Piggy Park enterprise. Yet that hasn't protected his restaurant from the connotations of the Bessinger name. We, oh, we were always labeled. Everyone thought that we were Maurice's and vice versa. Bessinger Barbecue had newspapers calling them and local TV stations incorrectly assuming that they themselves had flown the flag. 
It was a family drama. He said, she said, misdirected blame. But it didn't matter. Blinded by anger, people jumped on the bandwagon. We got death threats. We would have people call the restaurant and just not constantly saying they're going to burn the restaurant down with with us in it. Um, we're going to follow you home, find out where you live. Um, one guy told me, be careful when you go out to your car at night. So we still have people to the day confusing us, you know, calling us racist. You know, Maurice was the kind of guy who loved attention, publicity, good or bad. But Maurice's sons aren't so interested in that kind of publicity. Anytime I broached the subject of their father's political past, the overt discrimination, the Supreme Court case, the Confederate flag incident in 2000, it was always the same. We don't get into politics. We don't get into politics. You could almost see the tension on their faces. They loved their father and didn't want to speak poorly of him. They wanted to move on. And they have, at least in some regards, made dramatic changes. Upon inheriting the restaurant, they removed the Confederate memorabilia and took down the Confederate flag. And these actions haven't gone unnoticed. I recently spoke with barbecue expert Adrian Miller to understand his perspective on the Sun's attempt at a rebranding. Adrian is an African-American soul food scholar. My motto is dropping knowledge like hot biscuits. I'm a food writer, a James Beard award-winning author, and a recovering attorney, former, former politico and certified barbecue judge who lives in Denver, Colorado. When I asked him about Piggy Park, he said he was actually planning an upcoming visit to the restaurant. Um, but I'm going to be uh, heading to North Carolina and then I have to drive down to Savannah, Georgia. So I was thinking of going through Columbia and swinging by again, because I know that the next generation has taken over and they're trying to distance themselves from their father's racist legacy. I think they want to move on from that. During our conversation, Adrian was open-minded and cautiously optimistic. And, you know, if the, if the family is trying to turn a page, you know, I fully support that because that's not easy. I mean, you know, the, the taking down the flag is hugely meaningful. I'm sure they got flack for that, but I know they felt it was the right thing to do, and it was. So it would be very interesting to see what kind of social responsibility they're doing with the community. Are they supporting Black causes? Are they doing outreach like that? That would be important to me. Um, I would like to know if they have Black staff and if the Black staff feels affirmed. So those are the kinds of things that I would like to see. And then I I would just like to see um, when I go there, are there going to be Black customers? And um, do I, as a Black customer, feel welcome? And, you know, there's there's all kinds of verbal and nonverbal cues about that. And sometimes it's a feel, but I, I go, I go into the, I'll go into that space with a very open mind. And, uh, you know, the last thing is I hope the food tastes good. Yet for many Americans and potential Piggy Park customers, it's not enough. I still don't eat there now. That's Alexis Strader a biracial business owner and active member of the Facebook page Black-Owned Columbia Eats. She runs her own food truck, Kurt's Kitchen Catering, out of Columbia, South Carolina. And when I asked her about Piggy Park, she alluded to a sort of unspoken rule among her friends and family. We just don't eat there. Because to me, it, it still has, especially since family um, are the ones who got it, 
that to me that history is still there that prejudice that of course they they're not going to show it because that's going to mess with their bottom line but i believe that that's just who they are even though i have a co-worker yeah she is african-american came to my desk the other day she said i went to maurice's and it was good you know but it was like it's secret, you know, so. But for so many African Americans in Columbia, Piggy Park remains inseparable from the racist legacy of Maurice Bessinger. Even though I heard they have very good barbecue (laughs) and that it's owned by someone else now and all the Confederate flags are, are gone, they're down, but still, it still has that attached to it. As Alexis put it, you know, it's just, it's just hard. It's just hard for me to get past. That was all in the past, and people have a right to do what they want to do. We don't tell them what to do. All we're doing is sitting there serving good barbecue. We welcome everybody to come eat with us. I mean, that's what the bottom line is. We don't uh, say anything negative about anybody. We don't care what their beliefs are, and we don't put ours out there. It was another one of those non-answers. We don't talk about politics. But with the face of Maurice Bessinger looking right back at me as I ate my hash and rice, I couldn't help but reflect on the inexorable link between the past and present. Is refusing to speak a kind of silent endorsement or an understandable hesitancy? What qualifies as a full-on reckoning? I would say that was uh, years ago, and uh, that's not who we are today. I mean, that was a different generation. Uh, people do change, right? So, you know, uh, like I said, uh, we want to serve great barbecue. That's who we are. I mean, uh, that was then. You, know, you can't, can't live in the past, can you? As I drove out of the restaurant's parking lot, past the giant world's best barbecue sign, past the drive through and the old brick building, I felt a little stumped, as if the questions I'd come to ask had gone unanswered. Talking to Lloyd and Paul felt like a callback to a different generation. They were not their father. That much was clear. They'd grown up in a different world than I had, and they'd lived through a changing cultural landscape, and they'd adapted. They had taken down the flag. But why? Was it a business decision? or the result of a passionate conviction? I'm not sure we'll ever know. This story isn't unique to South Carolina, to Piggy Park, to Maurice Bessinger, to his children. It's a story that's emblematic of the changing political tides and cultural shifts taking shape in our current moment. 
Each of us has a choice, a decision to make about where we spend our money or where we don't, of what businesses we want to support and what side of history we want to be on. We can't live in the past, but how do we move beyond it? What qualifies as a reckoning? In other words, is it okay to eat at Piggy Park? Oh, that was great. Thank you. I suspect it, it might take another generation or two before this is either forgotten or forgiven. But leaving the politics aside just for a minute, uh, is it good barbecue, Piggy Park, or do you have a, a different preference? Yeah, some people might say that is the most important question. I will say I enjoyed it. I'm a big mustard fan, and that definitely helped. But I've had other barbecue in the world that I've also similarly enjoyed. I guess I'll leave it at that. <laughs> I, I can remember going, going to Kansas City long, long ago and actually visited Mr. Bryant's barbecue just after he died. Um, but I had nothing to judge it against. So you know, who knows? Maybe it's the best barbecue in the world. Maybe it isn't. They all seem to say that. So, OK, um, let's have the credits. Yeah, so I want to thank everybody who talked to me um, for this episode, all the culinary historians and the Bessinger Sons for sitting down and having that conversation with me. It was great speaking with everyone, and I really learned a lot in that process. Um, I also want to thank Blue Dot Sessions for the wonderful music, and the names of the songs will be linked in the show below. I'm really pleased Gabriela Gluck wanted to share her work because it gave us all a chance to hear a story that I would probably never have been able to make by myself. And maybe there are other stories out there that I could give space to. I'll put some show notes up at eatthispodcast.com, including a link to that New Yorker article that fired Gabriela's interest and some other stuff for fans of barbecue and history. For now, though, from me, Jeremy Chuffus, and Eat This Podcast, goodbye and thanks for listening.